So let's turn now to scripture reading. And we're going to start in Matthew 5. We're going to Matthew 5, verses 21 to 26. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, if you can flip with me to Matthew 18, verses 21 and 22. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. This is God's word. Well, good morning and thank you for joining us. And we're in the middle of a series called, Did Jesus Say That? And today I want to talk about forgiveness. And do we really need to forgive everyone? It's one of those sermons that actually I wrestled with as I was preparing it was one of the most difficult sermons to present because really it, it's a theology on forgiveness. I'm not preaching this because something is wrong at Central. No, exactly the opposite. I'm preaching this because I believe this is a core theme that needs to go from our heads to our hearts to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so the question that I want to wrestle with is do we really need to forgive everyone? Even if they hurt us over and over and over again, do we really need to forgive? What does Jesus say about those things? When I was younger, my dad was teaching me to water ski. And it was a day like today. The sun was out. It was beautiful and one of the things that he said was, hey, son, make sure that you let go of the rope when you fall. Oh, of course, dad, no problem. And so I remember getting better and better at water skiing. You know, I got up on two skis and I would jump the wake and I would go back and forth. And it kind of felt like I was gliding, like I was floating, and then I learned to drop a ski, and then I was on one ski, and then I learned how to slow them and get up on one ski. But this one particular time, we had a friend of the family driving the boat, and he was going really, really fast. And I remember cutting back and forth in the wake, and then I fell. But for some reason, in that moment, I did not let go of the rope. And as it was being dragged behind the boat, I could feel all the water going inside. And it was like I was drowning, but I still didn't let go of the rope. And as I continued, I could feel my arm straining and hurting. And somehow I got it caught. 
In the midst of it all, I lost my bathing suit and continued on, and eventually I let go of the rope. You know, the question I was asking myself, you know, why did it take so long? I have actually no idea. <laughs> but the longer I held on to the rope, the more damage that it caused to me. My arm hurt for days. I actually almost drowned because of my own stupidity. <laughs> but just like in the story, we've all held on too long. We've held on to hurts and wounds from the past that have caused bitterness and damage to our own life, to relationships, to the church. Some of these hurts have occurred because of our relational issues that we've had with family and friends and work relationships. As we serve together, things happen where people reject us, mistreat us. They say unkind words to us. And for some reason, we hold on to them. And we struggle to let go. So the question is, what does Jesus say about forgiveness? I want to focus on three questions today. The first question being, do we need to forgive everyone? Second question, can forgiveness wait? Third question, can we limit our forgiveness? So question number one, do we need to forgive everyone? Well, first, let's look at what forgiveness is not. What forgiveness is not. Well, forgiveness is not restoring trust in the person. There's, there's just so many misconceptions about forgiveness, but it's not necessarily restoring trust in the person. It's not agreeing to reconcile right away. It's also not just forgiving and forgetting. That, 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 that would actually be stupid. That as things happen in life, that if we just forgive and forget and don't learn and, and put up boundaries, it causes greater damage. But also, if somebody really did hurt my daughters or even killed them, I don't think it would be simply biblical just to forgive and forget. There would be times in which those things would come up in my mind and I would remember probably for the rest of my life what happened. Oh yes, I would need to forgive over and over. I would have to love that person that committed that sin. But forget? I'm not sure that's forgiveness at all. Forgiveness is not condoning the behavior. Because sin is sin. It doesn't mean you agree with what has happened. And in forgiveness, there's just so many different things that we believe forgiveness is, 
But this is what the Bible says forgiveness is. Forgiveness is the process by which a person is released from the consequences of the offense. And the Bible says forgiveness means literally to let go. To let go of the demand or payment that that person needs to pay for what they've done. So again, forgiveness means to let go. So look with me at Matthew 5, 21, which says this. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Notice that Jesus is saying, in God's court, anger and unforgiveness is like murder. He's cautioning the person who continues to be angry. The person who continues to harbor bitterness and unforgiveness. He's saying that is like murder. And in my court, I will judge that person. Why? Because when you harbor anger and bitterness, it hurts other people. But it also hurts us. So the question is, when you get hurt, who is responsible for making it right? Well, let's keep reading. Matthew 5, 22 says, But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Notice, everybody who is angry will be liable and it says, whoever insults his brother will be liable. So, in other words, if you're angry, you're liable to make it right. If you've insulted someone, you're responsible to make it right. But as I was digging deeper into this, check out what Luke 17.3 says. It says this, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Okay. This is where we get all uncomfortable and it's like, ah, really? Do I have to, you know, do I have to say the awkward thing? Well, actually, yes. It's saying, yeah, pay attention to yourself. Make sure your motives are correct. But you too, if you see a brother or sister in Christ sinning, you are responsible to correct them. So in other words, we are all responsible for making things right. You're responsible if you've committed the offense. And you're responsible if you witness the offense. That we are all in this together. That as a Christian, this is part of our discipleship. Is creating these relationships in which we can call each other out. Creating these safe spaces in which we can love each other well. And forgive. So that we can grow together and be exactly who Christ has called us to be. So, 
What if someone sins against you and the person doesn't repent? Oh, so common. Well, there's this big debate on the internet about this because Luke says, if he repents, forgive him. So does that mean if there is no repentance, there is no forgiveness offered? You know, some people have the argument, well, that's exactly what God does for us. You know, if we don't repent, he doesn't forgive us. Yes, that is true. But first, we are not God. That we are called to forgive no matter what. And when we interpret this scripture, we must look at what the entire Bible says about forgiveness. Check out Mark 11, 25, which says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him. It doesn't say, you know, if there's repentance, forgive him. But what is happening is, is Jesus has given us a process that when a brother or sister sins, we go to them. We ask them to repent. And right away, if they do, we forgive them. There's this sequence of steps that need to be taken and followed that protect the community, that build up the community, that is part of our discipleship. But what Jesus is not saying, if there's no repentance, that we should harbor and carry that bitterness for the rest of our life or just simply pardon them. What Jesus is saying we are responsible to forgive no matter what. And I think actually when we bypass these steps, we rob people of the discipleship and correction that they need. When we bypass these steps, we rob ourselves and the church of helping others be more like Christ. Oh, but when do we stop having the conversations? Well, Romans 12, 14 to 21 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So far as it depends on you. In other words, make every effort to be at peace with your brother or sister in Christ. Well, many years ago, in a leadership transition at my old church, the lead pastor retired, and a new board chairman was elected. And actually, he was one of my friends, and I was there for, you know, six or seven years, and we kind of got to know each other well. But he didn't like how I ran the youth ministry there. And so when he was in power, he started saying things behind my back to other church members and board members. And when I walked into the church, I could feel the tension. You know, when I went to greet someone, I would get these weird, dirty looks. But he never came and talked to me about it right away. I remember getting really angry. Because I knew something was wrong. And there was all these closed door conversations 
And finally, I was, at, I was praying and I asked God to give me insight into the situation. And God said, hey, invite the entire board to your next youth night. So I did. The whole board came and they watched every aspect of what was going on. And in that moment, the facts were corrected. And all the things that were being said about me weren't actually true. And the church asked the board chairman to step down. But there was no repentance. I found out later he just went to another church and did exactly the same thing and then left that church. But one of the side effects is the damage didn't stop there. I, too, struggled to forgive him. I remember, like, moments of frustration going, God, why? I actually wanted to quit ministry because it went on for so long. After months and months of prayer and even getting some outside counsel, another pastor came in and took me under his wing, cleaned up the mess, and restored my own soul. But I had to forgive. Someone said, everyone wants biblical community, but nobody wants to forgive. Unforgiveness kills genuine community. It separates close friends. It divides families. It splits churches. It keeps people from experiencing authentic biblical discipleship. This raises the question for all of us. Is there any unforgiveness in our own lives that's affecting our relationship with God and others? Is it keeping you from experiencing this authentic, close, transparent community that we all need? So in summary, we've been commanded in Scripture to forgive anyone who has hurt us. And forgiveness does not mean we will necessarily forget the offense. But forgiveness means that we are letting it go. That we are letting God deal with the offender. So to answer the question, do you need to forgive everyone? The answer is yes. So secondly, can forgiveness wait? Can forgiveness wait? Look with me at Matthew 5:23 which says So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift But notice it says leave your gift it's saying, before you come to worship, there's an urgency that you need to forgive so that you can be right with God before you can worship. Why? 
Because Jesus is exposing our true motives to worship. When we come and just pretend that everything is okay, we can't truly worship God. Our worship becomes trite. It becomes meaningless. And exercising forgiveness is more significant than giving our gifts. It's because Jesus is saying that it's wrong to value perceptions over responsibility. That he doesn't want us to come and just pretend that everything is okay. That he wants us to do the hard work of forgiving. Matthew 5, 25 says this, Come to terms quickly with your accuser. Hebrews 12, 15 says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble, and by it many be defiled. Many years ago, my little brother asked to move in and, and take uh, rent a room for college. And I don't know if you know Megan and myself, but we're pretty clean people. And my little brother, not so much. And so we had two rules for my brother. First rule, please do your laundry once a week. Second rule, do your own dishes. And so after a couple months, when we would walk by my brother's room, you would get this kind of waft of B.O. and weirdness. And so, you know, you'd knock on the door, hey, little brother, um, yeah, remember the agreement? Yeah, 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 I'll get to it, I'll get to it. A week goes by, yeah, I'll get to it, I'll get to it. Finally, it got to the point where it started to stink up the entire house. And so Megan's like, you know, Steve, you got to deal with your brother. He's got to move out. Like, this is not happening. I don't think he's from the same family. Anyways, I walked in and I said, okay, if your room isn't clean by Friday, I know you're in college, I know you're a big boy, but you're going to have to move into the dorms. He's like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. So a day later, I peek in, it's actually clean. I walk in, I notice that the bedspread was all kind of crumply and not smoothed out properly. And so as I was walking over, he's like, hey, hey, no, 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 don't. And I pulled up the bedspread and underneath were dirty, crusty dishes and stinky clothes. So rather than doing the hard work of properly cleaning his room, he just kind of hid it all. But this is exactly what unforgiveness looks like. We, We just cover it up and pretend that everything is okay. You know, we can even come to church and see the person that we have an issue with and avoid them and then raise our hands and start worshiping God, but yet our worship stinks. We can pray elegant words when others are listening, 
We can put money in the offering plate. We can even throw in an amen. But what Jesus is saying, he's saying that's wrong. He's saying, why? Because you're holding a grudge against someone else. And there's a war in your heart. And you are not genuinely worshiping me because you're holding something against your brother or sister in Christ. And your heart can become more focused on destroying that person than worshiping God. So the question is, is there someone in your life that you need to forgive before you come to worship? How long has it been? So to answer your question, can forgiveness wait? The answer is no. As we can't worship God well if we're holding on to bitterness and a grudge, we must forgive others so that when we come, our heart can be fully engaged in worship. So lastly, should we limit our forgiveness? Should we limit our forgiveness? In other words, what do we do when someone hurts us over and over and over again? Well, look with me at Matthew 18, 21 to 22. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Well, when Peter asks the question, he, he's on the right track. He knows that he needs to forgive. But to be honest, the answer that Jesus gives is kind of flustering. It's kind of frustrating. Especially when you're in a situation where you keep getting hurt over and over again. And, and we tend to kind of keep a record of wrongs. And every time you get hurt, you add another thing to the list, right? But Jesus is saying that we should never stop forgiving. That we should never keep a record of wrongs. And Jesus isn't saying that we should stop forgiving on the 78th time. He is saying forgiveness is absolutely necessary for all of us every single time. And it doesn't mean that you just let a person continually hurt you. No, it's biblical to put up boundaries so difficult things don't happen. But when they do, Jesus is saying, you should forgive. Jesus is giving us a warning when we hold on to that unforgiving spirit. He's saying, why? Because if you haven't forgiven, you haven't deeply understood the gospel. You haven't understood what I have done for you. He's saying that we shouldn't hold on to hurt and these wounds and have limits to them because God does not have limits with us. 
Jim Henry illustrates this so well. This is what he says. We create the filing cabinet of your mind. In bitterness, you focus on what that horrible person has done to you. You make a filing cabinet with their name on it, saying rotten things this person has done to me. Now, this is a big filing cabinet. And every time that person does even the smallest thing that hurts or bothers you, you file it with the rest of the hurts. Usually we have more than one filing cabinet. Then he says, reconciliation means emptying the filing cabinet for good. The Bible pushes us to be loving even when you don't like the person. There are harder people to love. Can I get an amen, he says? We are always called to forgive. However, forgiveness should not be seen as a remedy to another person's character. Forgiveness will not fix the other person, but we are called to love and work on ourselves. So when's the last time you've forgiven someone even seven times? Was it last week? Was it last month? Was it last year? Or do you keep a record of wrongs? You know, sustained unforgiveness, it breaks apart relationships. It breaks apart us. It makes us spiritually ill. It keeps us from deeply connecting with God and others. And I know we're, we're all prone to say, hey, I don't even want to see that person again. But I want you to know that broken people do broken things. Broken people do broken things. And broken people need Jesus. And they need you to be Jesus. Matthew 6, 14 to 15 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And then this verse sums it up perfectly. Ephesians 4, 30 to 32. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away. Be put away from you. Along with all malice. But uh, be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Tim Keller says this so well. He says, if someone wrongs you, really wrongs you, what should you do? God says, our king says, you must forgive. It's a rule. It's a law. You must forgive 
You must no longer hold the person liable. You must forgive from the heart. It's all through the Bible. And what if you don't? If you don't, you're taking your life in your own hands. You're being your own master, your own Lord, as it were. You're actually making yourself the judge of this person sitting in the judgment seat. And what's going to happen? If you're really angry at them, bad things will happen. Disintegration. It won't be good for your psychology. There will be fear and anger. It won't be good for you in your relationship if you stay angry at this person. You tend to generalize your anger toward other people like that person. It'll hurt your relationships. It'll distort your relationships. It might even hurt your own body. It might even create some kind of breakdown. Anger is very bad for your body. What's going on? It's a miniature version of what happened in Genesis. It's a miniature version of what happens all the time. And what does it mean then? When Jesus Christ comes and says the kingdom of God has come, what it means is when we enter back under his lordship, we start to heal. Things start to come together. However, there's something very important to see. Notice he says, the kingdom of God has come near. Isn't that good? So what keeps us from forgiveness? Why is it so hard? Well, it's because maybe the hurt or wound was so devastating. Maybe it was life altering. And that you need to grieve that loss. That you may need to have a funeral and let it go. It may be because we tell ourselves we will forgive when they stop doing wrong. And as a result, we continue to hurt ourselves. It may be because we are all broken people who forget what Jesus did for us. Well, it may be because we are all prone to hold on to hurt and bitterness because we want the other person to pay. In conclusion, forgiveness is God's work. It's God calling us back to him. It's God inviting us into a space in which we can love other people well and be free from our bitterness and those burdens that we may have been carrying around for years. It's this invitation to restore our relationship with God and others where there has been separation. So this morning, I want to give you three steps to forgiveness. Three steps to forgiveness. First is that you need to decide to forgive. That it's not just following feelings, but it's making a decision to let it go. But also to depend on God. 
that there may be a point in which you're so struggling to let go that you need God's help. Ask the Spirit of God to come in and help you to release whatever it is you need to release. You are not alone in this. But third, this is obedience. We must obey. In God's word, it tells us several things. That we must forgive as Christ has forgiven us. That we must do this quickly before we can worship well. Because God has given us the ministry of reconciliation in which he wants to restore once what was good and make it good again. That when we do this, we are most like Christ. That it's hard work, it's difficult, but it frees us. It brings us to a place in which we can really worship God. Corey Ten Boom says this, as she struggled to forgive the Nazis. And when she was caught, she's seen some horrific things. And she says, I thought I had forgiven the person, but I keep rehashing it in my mind. And so I prayed to God for help. And she said the help came in the form of a pastor who she confessed her failure and sleepless nights to. And he said this, Up in the church tower, there is a bell that is rung by pulling on the rope. But you know what? When you let go of the rope, the bell keeps on swinging. First ding, then dong, but slower and slower until there's a final dong and it stops. I believe the same thing is true about forgiveness. When we forgive, we take our hand off the rope. Ding, dong, ding, dong. It becomes slower and slower, but eventually it stops. So in in conclusion, what are you holding on to? Ask God to reveal it to you right now. Maybe even write out a list of all those things that have hurt you and bring it before God. And then at some point, take that list and destroy it. Burn it. Flush it. Get rid of it. As a symbol of you letting go. And those things may come back up and just say, God, I forgive. God, I forgive. God, I let go. And continually give it to him. Let's just take a moment to prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. Ask God, again, to reveal where there is bitterness and anger and difficulty. And then we're going to worship and then we're going to take communion together. So let's pray. 
God, thank you for your words of truth. Thank you that you value truth and responsibility and that you've asked us to put those things together so that we can worship well. But God, my prayer this morning is that we can be people who are free, people who can confront sin in a way that it ends in reconciliation. And so God, I just pray that your people would be obedient this morning. Prepare our hearts, soften our hearts, help us to release what we've been holding on to. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.